Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reach. This is your host, Jessica Van. I am the founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group. And today I am excited to welcome Rachel Tan to our podcast. Hello, Rachel. Hi, friends. How are we? <laughs> good. We're good. So by way of background, Rachel works in executive administration and strategic programs supporting the CEO and president of Benchling. For those who don't know, Benchling is a cloud-based software that's designed specifically for biotechnology research and development. Prior to this promotion, Rachel supported Benchling's chief marketing officer, working very closely with the comms team and the PR team, which means she's no stranger to quote-unquote newsworthy and current events, which brings us to the topic of today's episode, which is the role that an executive assistant plays in a quote-unquote war room situation. So... This is a lofty one for us, Rachel, and this is different, I have to say. So I thank you for stepping up to this one. You know, all of us can appreciate that executive assistants are often thrown into highly confidential, high-intensity situations, but actually doing a full episode about what that war room dialogue looks like is, is going to be really great. So thank you, for, um, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Let's start by talking about what a war room or situation room is. Uh, those who are familiar with it have probably heard it in the context of the presidential cabinet, and it's typically the place that the president and his advisors retreat to to strategize on things that are pressing or highly sensitive, critical matters. But when we think about a war room in the context of business, what types of situations come to mind for you, Rachel? Yeah, you know, it's not that different, right? Highly sensitive or and critical matters. Um, I have been in situations where, you know, a few examples include the announcement of somebody's departure, whether that's a forced departure or, you know, a resignation, um, a merger or acquisition, for instance. That's a really good one that um, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of more than once. Um what else? Uh, you know, another announcement to uh, to go public, right? Whether you file to go public, you are planning to IPO soon and with a date. Um, something that came up very recently for me was, you know, the press having leaked some info about a confidential round of fundraising. P.S. They got it wrong, but um, you know, something that we all had to address in a very timely manner. So, you know, it, it really is just like a gamut of things, some good, some bad. Um, but most of the time, it's really something that needs to be addressed immediately. Um, and with, you know, executive staff involved. Yeah, I mean, what I'm hearing, kind of the common theme in all of those situations is some kind of very high stakes event. Yeah. And it could be both, as you say, good or bad. 
but um, but it, there's definitely a urgency and um, the, the potential sort of looming of, of severe consequences one way or the other. Absolutely. And I think that's what um, is most important to, I mean, to our executive staff here at Benchling, right, is how does this affect our people? How does this affect Benchlings? Um, and that's really the lens they bring into all the war rooms. <laughs> that's the lens I bring um, when I'm invited, right? How does this affect our people? Because that's that's my most important thing, right? Like, yes, I'm here to support my execs, um, but I'm also here to support the company and support the people in the company. And um, I think that's one of my superpowers as an executive assistant is uh, learning and understanding how to or how things affect like the greater population um, and how I can influence the things that happen around that. Great. Which, which is a nice segue into when an EA is brought into a war room scenario, you know, what is the role that you're supposed to play? And can you give some concrete examples of how that support may change or uh, the value that an EA provides in that, in that room? Yeah, I mean, so some instances or most instances, you know, when a war room is called, not everybody can be be available, right? Something broke in the middle of the night and we're getting everybody together early the next morning to talk about it. Somebody is inevitably on a flight or their kids have a doctor's appointment or, you know, just something that keeps them from being there, whether virtually or physically. Um and because of that, right, I think part of the EA role of being there is like, one, making sure that whatever value that person had to bring to the table still gets brought, whether that's by a proxy or whether that's like me relaying information back to that person, right? These are typically really sensitive things. Um, proxy is not always... Uh, not, are not always requested or wanted in these types of situations. So making sure that they get all the information and action items that are relevant to them um, coming out of the one-hour meeting or what, whatever. Um, also threading the needle between all the parties involved in the room versus, like I said, who's not able to be there. Um, I think one of the things that I do really well is having a holistic view right, of, of what's happening. I think what can happen a lot of times in these situations is, for instance, the head of a certain department gets invited, and they're really only thinking about this through the lens of that specific department. Um, the, the thing that, like, the CEO or maybe the COO, um, and in some instances, the executive assistant, really has, like I said, a broader view of how this affects the company, multiple departments, um, specific people in those departments. Uh, so I think raising things and raising those blind spots, uncovering those blind spots for everybody in the room is really helpful. Um, and something that EA, one, is not only really good at, like already in their job, but something um, that's really important to the war room. Uh, secondly, and, you know, something that's a part of our day-to-day -day job is like thinking through logistically how to execute on the ideas that are being brought forward in that discussion. 
Um, and whether that's, you know, executing solo or folding people into the loop, um, making sure that happens in ways that are discreet, are confidential, um, you know, bringing people in that, you know, on a need to know basis, et cetera. Um, and I think that, that that EA who's like actually in the war room is actually giving given a lot of responsibility and a lot of power um, when it comes to that execution piece. Yeah, I love that. I mean, in how you talk about it, it's almost not, it's not all that different than, you know, being present in a board meeting, right? Or an e-staff meeting where to the extent that you are monitoring the discourse, capturing key items, noting action items, establishing the cadence for follow-up, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of similarity in that. Um, which I, I think is really nice because it's also, it puts it in familiar, on familiar ground for people. So even if they've never been in a war room, they can say, well, hmm, this is very similar to other situations I have been in. So there's some, some comfort in that. Um, I, I, I'm curious about, you know, um, how kind of contingency planning and scenario planning comes in. So for example, right, a something is leaked. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very, let's say it's a, it's a security breach, right? And it's a data breach and it's bad. It's, there's, it's, it's really bad press. It's of huge consequence, lots of customer information exposed, yada, 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 yada. You know, what is kind of the contingency planning or the mindset that you bring in that situation? Because clearly, and you make another really good point, Rachel, which is that, you know, the EA, one of one of the EA's gifts is understanding the broader picture, understanding the interconnectedness and interrelatedness of, of everyone, right? So there's this whole kind of domino effect. So one of those things might be, well, if this gets leaked, you know, how are we going to how are we going to control damage around this? More importantly, or not more importantly, but equally importantly, is you know how are we not going to um, how are we going to contain this, right? Because we don't want to cast negative attention on the company. We don't want to cast negative attention on our leadership team that can carry back to our investors. I mean, there's just like kind of this whole cascade domino effect of stuff. So like what, what is the EA's mindset in that moment of, you know, let's say it is like a, a, a security breach, right? Like kind of what do you do from that point forward in far as, as far as contingency planning? Yeah. I mean, I think I am the kind of person in my personal life and in my work life that like I am a worst case scenario planner. Um, and I, and I, th- I know a lot of EAs who are like this, right? Some EAs who's like, here's my best case scenario. Here's my plan B or plan C. I'm the person that's like, here's my best case scenario. Here's my worst case scenario. And literally everything in between is a bonus, Right. Because I have planned for literally the worst thing that could happen in this, in, you know, in this scenario. Um, So in instances like this, and that's something that we've brought um, actually forward to our crisis comms, right? And our crisis planning, which is um, something that's, that's been introduced to our teams very recently is, okay, in something that hits the table, right? scenario A, what is the worst case of scenario A? Let's plan for that. Um, And like I said, like anything that happens above that is a plus, right? So 
when you're tempering expectations for the people who are in the room and <laughs> helping you execute on all the things that need to happen. Um, but two, you're also letting people know that like this can be bad. So let's be prepared for it. Right. So preparing for the worst case scenario, not only, like I said, tempers like how I, I feel about it personally, but like helps me keep a, a clear mind um, mm-hmm. and a clear, um, a clear path forward because like, I'm confident that you can throw anything at me and I will be right for it. You touched on this a little bit, but if you can go a little deeper, obviously without betraying, you know, sensitive company information, but what are some of the the war rooms you've been in? You know, maybe there's a one in particular that comes to mind and you know, what was your contribution in that moment and ultimately what was the outcome in in terms of you guys having a successful containment? Yeah. Um so thinking about this, um, I guess, so I used to work at a company called MuleSoft. MuleSoft, I was with them, I think I was like joined when we were like 400 people. Um, and shortly thereafter, we IPO'd. Um, about a year, almost exactly to the day after we IPO, I got a phone call from my boss. I was supporting the founder and the chief of field operations at MuleSoft. He calls me on a Saturday. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to answer the phone because mm-hmm. Saturday phone calls means something. Something's answer wrong. Something's wrong. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Mostly something's wrong, right? So I answer the phone and he's like, hey, going to tell you something um, and we need to start actioning this for the next week. And it was – when we had agreed and our board had agreed to be acquired by Salesforce. Mm. Sunday, we come with a strategy plan. I work on a comms plan. And Monday, um, start calendaring all the things because Monday is when we need to have like these war room meetings to then read people in on the plan and then action the plan. Um, in this instance, it was, you know, reading in like two other members of the executive assistant teams. It was all of ex- executive staff, key members of our comms team, um, and our PR team in our corporate marketing team, um, as part of that. So, <clears throat> you know, my contribution up front was identifying who should be who even should be in the room, right? I had a general sense. I mean, as you know, this job, you get very vague instructions (laughs) um, for a lot of things, right? So very general sense of like, obviously all of e-staff needs to be there, but get the right people in the room for all of the things. So it was my job again to identify who should be in the room, identify who owns what as part of, you know, the comms and the strategy. Um, and then getting like shell outlines together of what we're going to talk about in that meeting. Um, and again, who will be owning what and make, and then making sure their calendars are free, putting meetings on their calendars without freaking anybody out. So upfront, that was my contribution through and through. I very much played like project manager um, for my work stream. Now my work stream was comms and calendaring. And that was something that I owned in collaboration with our 
um, corporate marketing team. Um, and it was, you know, just <laughs> like the title of the work stream um, entails, right? Making sure that we're communicating these changes and our plans in a way that doesn't cause alarm, right? In a way that like, we ultimately saw this as a wonderful thing for the company, right? right? So how are we making sure that it feels wonderful coming across and it doesn't feel like, oh, this is the end of our business as we know it. Um, and I think that's where this is so important, right, to highlight and underscore is that, you know, it's it's a, a lot of it is about who controls the message. Yes. And I, I think that that's a big part of the urgency in these situations is that you have to get in front of this in enough time so that you can control the message before there's some kind of leak and then you lose all control of how the information is revealed. And Absolutely. that's a big vulnerability, right? Yes. So, you know, and and because of that, right, like we didn't want it to get leaked. It, it was like a three-day adventure because this was a Monday. We were going to announce on Thursday to make sure that we had time on Friday for like Q&A and open questions um, for our office hours. So in that three days, it was like mm, telling the EAs who were not in the know, like, please clear calendars, but I can't give you a reason, but I promise, like, you'll know soon enough, right? Not a lot of people are okay with that messaging, right? People always want to be in the inner circle. Um, so it's also managing, like, people's feelings around the information that they can and could not be privy to. Um, and how and do you do that? Um, you know, I think uh, more seasoned EAs just like get it um, mm -hmm. because that's just, that's part of the job, right? Like if I absolutely need to know, I'm going to get right in. If I don't need to know, then people are going to be really weird about it. But like <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I've just, I, for me personally, like I have, really just tried to separate like my ego from that, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about me. Um, it's about this role and what this role and like who I support or the department I support, what, what needs to happen there, right? Um, but I've found that like in, in these kinds of instances, like maybe younger EAs or EAs who are like newer to the profession don't necessarily know how to disassociate those things. Um, so, you know, I'm just making it very clear that like, you're going to know when you know, and I promise you will have a role to play once you do know, but at this moment, right. It's just like at this very moment, like only e-staff and me know, right. Um, and just reminding them like some information and most of the information that we touch is sensitive and very little is confidential, right? So making that delineation early, like this is confidential information that I cannot share, um, yeah. helps them like just feel better about not knowing that. Yeah, that that's fair. I mean, I, I appreciate just the, just the straightforwardness of saying, you know, look, I know this is really going to fan your FOMO, but, <laughs> you know, or however you choose to say it, but, but I promise you, you know, it's not, this is not personal and whatever, however you couch that. But I, I think that yes. there, yeah. there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of relational intelligence and emotional intelligence that comes into play because like you point out, there's so many 
there's just so many things and touch points that need to be massaged and considered in situations like this. And that's why it's complicated, you know? Yes. And it's also like really nuanced, right? So, Very much so. Yep. Uh, when you're dealing with a company of a thousand people, even if you're dealing with a company of a hundred people, it's just, you have to think about every person because you're, you're saying these things, this thing is happening, but everybody will experience that differently. And you have to be prepared for all of those instances. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I, you said something else too at the very beginning as you were answering this question about you know, knowing who to bring into the fold and knowing who to bring into the room. Yeah. I mean, other than you know, leveraging your, your business acumen, and, and this is where clearly like the strategic EAs who function at the level that you function at, there's an s- extreme amount of sophistication and business knowledge, um, perspective, you know, you need to really understand the intricacies of the company and the organization as a whole to be able to know who to pull in. But, you know, is there a way for you to kind of, without, you know, obviously exposing all of your, the years of experience that led to this business acumen that you have, I mean, what kind of, what's your thought process on who needs to be included? Like kind of big picture, how do you... How, I mean, how do you think through that? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously heads of departments, right, especially departments that are going to be affected um, always should be in the room. But I have always been a proponent of you know, diversity in these kinds of things. Um, so I'm also looking, I mean, myself, I am, you know, I'm a mother. I am a woman of color. I... Um, have a family and I have a family with young children, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm i always thinking of like my intersectionality in these situations and like, the, but there's other people with different lived experiences that I don't have that I can't speak for, right? So I am also looking for um, representation, right? Mm-hmm. From people who aren't who aren't usually in the room. For instance, um, when George Floyd was murdered two mm-hmm. summers ago, three summers ago, um, I was the one who called my CEO that day and was like, we need to say something about this. This is affecting a large majority of the company. I mean, you know, um, personally, and even people who aren't, you know, black or people of color, like it's affecting them and what they're seeing, what they're absorbing in the news, uh, and which will ultimately affect the business, right? So Mm -hmm. something needs to be said. Um, And that was a different kind of war room, right? So it was myself, it was another woman um, from our BIPOC ERG, and Mm -hmm. it was um, another gentleman from another ERG, um, that really helped us shape communications that touched on how each of us experience it, are experiencing what's happening in the world right now. Uh, and that happened again, right? When Russia invaded Ukraine, we said uh-huh. something. So uh-huh. it's like different world events that touch people differently. We're really looking to make sure that we're acknowledging everybody's experience in this moment. 
Yeah. And I'm really glad you brought that up because I was, I was also wondering that. I mean, obviously there's the internal war room situations that, that unfold, um, as a, as a matter of, you know, running the business, but then there's all of these external intervening life events, social, political, cultural events that, that are, uh, very much a constant and very much at play in the psyches and, um, and experiences of, of employees. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, because I was wondering that, about that, about, you know, do you ever, um, hold a war room for a, a social or political based event? And it sounds like the answer is very much yes. Very if much you yes. feel like it's relevant to, you know, to your teams. Yes. Yeah. And something as big, I mean, when something like hits the news cycle and it's so upsetting and very polarizing, it's really hard to get it right. Right. Cause you're always going to have people who don't think that, who don't see a problem. Right. Or who, think it's good, where other people think it's bad, like whatever. But I think most importantly, like the messaging around these types of events are that we see you as human beings. We understand that you may feel a certain way um, about this and we're giving you the space to feel the feelings and to take the time and to have conversations, etc. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you know, I, a lot of companies can really shy away from things like this because they don't want to draw a hard line in the sand saying I'm for this or I'm against this. But I don't even think it's about that. I think it's about being for your people and, uh, uh, you know, first and foremost, like as an employee, that's something that I look for in an employer, right? When shit hits the fan, is my company going to have my back? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how how did you bring that up to your CEO at, at the time? Um it was a Slack message. Um the next day. Mm-hmm. So George Floyd was murdered, was a whole was on the news, it was all over sure. my social media, had some conversations about it with people like at work. And the next day I was like, I can't, I literally cannot work. I can't work. I'm feeling upset. I am feeling disenfranchised. I am feeling unsafe. There was just a lot of feelings that kept me from doing my job. And I am not a part of the black community. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I'm feeling like this, I cannot be the only one. So then I started asking people, how are you doing today? And the more I asked that, the more I understood that like what I was feeling was just, it was not insular. It was widespread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I slacked him. I was like, hey, I am finding it really difficult to show up to work today. And this was, I mean, we were all home, all on computers. I was sitting on my couch, right? So I didn't have to like be in an office, but I had to, I had like seven meetings. I was in back-to-back meetings all day and none of it mattered. I was like, people are dying on the streets. This meeting, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um 
And he was like, okay, I hear you. Hell, And then he being, you know, my previous CEO was white, is white. Um, and he was very aware that like, he didn't know what to do or say here, right? So he's like, help me figure out what to do. So that's what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, created a mini war room, worked on comms overnight that evening. Comms went out the next day. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it didn't have to be like, we didn't have to put money against it. We didn't have to, you know, like do something other than like offer support and some time off, right? Like talk to your manager. We have, we had worked for a really wonderful company that offered mental health benefits. Um, like use this if you feel like you need to. Here's some resources that you can read. Here's, you know, places where we're having internal conversations about this. It was really just showing our people that we supported them and how they were processing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I think that um, another thing that's going through my head as you're as you're telling your story is that so often people say things like, you know, I don't I don't know how else I can step up in my role or what are ways that I can provide greater impact, you know, uh, using my platform as an executive assistant. And I mean, I think this is just yet another fantastic example of your power and your influence as an executive assistant. You know, it's so much more than kind of the, the kind of limited conventional thinking around this role. I mean, you could have easily said, if you were somebody other than yourself, you could have easily said, okay, well, this is the problem for HR, or this is a problem for uh, our head of comms or PR, whoever, like this is something that they need to deal with. But you didn't. You said, this is a problem that I'm aware of. It's, I'm, it's, it's impacting me, therefore it's impacting others. And I have the ear of my CEO and I have a, a, the relationship with him to be able to, to, to go there, right? Yeah. So I think it's a really great, all, everything else aside, like I, I think it's just one more example that really illustrates the, the tremendous potential for impact that this role carries. And, and I have no doubt that, you know, the, the conversations that you guys had as an organization that ensued from you raising this to your CEO had tremendous impact, right, on, on those people. And, and who knows, you may have even prevented a couple people from, you know, resigning because they felt frustrated or unseen or whatever the case might have been, right? So there's yes. just like all of these kind of rever- reverberations and I think it's really important to just acknowledge to acknowledge that and to not forget that that's available to you in this role. A thousand percent. And, you know, and it also is the way that the executive team views this role, right? I've been in places where, like, I'm, I've never been one to be afraid to use my voice. But I have been in places where people are just like, or executives are like, I don't actually care what you have to say. Why are you calling me? You know, like, what do you, mm-hmm. what does this matter um, coming from you, right? And whether that be because I'm an EA or because I'm a woman or whatever, for whatever reason, um, it, ha- it also, like, pairs well with how the business treats this role, right? 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. And some, and what's unfortunate is some businesses don't see this role as being that. But some businesses do, and like, which is really wonderful to continue to see. And, um, and I think that's only growing. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, you know, we were actually um, working on a course <laughs> about this very subject of strategic strategic partnership. And I mean, to me, that moment between the two of you um, really signifies that trust and that allegiance because he heard you and, and he, he, he empowered you to, to do something about it. Yeah. And he wasn't even my boss. And I think this is really important, like for other executive assistants, like you don't always have to go straight to your direct line executive. I was supporting the CMO at that mm-hmm. company and I had built relationships enough with the rest of executive staff to feel comfortable to go straight to the CEO for that. Right. So switching gears just a little bit, um, for those people that maybe work in smaller, let's say organizations, scrappier, where they don't have this quote unquote head of comms or an official PR team or somebody to kind of um, buffer these things or, or put the rubble, rubber stamp of approval on the messaging, you know, have you been in situations like that where uh, you didn't have that to turn to and, and how did that impact the types of responsibilities you took on as an executive assistant. Yeah. I mean, and just using that same example, like we didn't have an internal comms person for the company I was at. The broader company had one, but we didn't have one. Um, so when we were tasked with writing comms, it was a, I like freaked out about it because it was so important to me that we got it right. And I like literally stayed up all night, just like weighing words in my head, right? Like, is this, is this one word better to use than this other word? Like, how is this group going to feel about that? Or how is this other marginalized group going to feel about that? And I think because I didn't, I couldn't, I don't do that as a job, right? It, it really, gosh, it, one made me appreciate like the people who do do this for a job. <laughs> like, how do you choose the right words? Right. It's so hard. Um, but I, I really had to be extra thoughtful because I was talking about something so sensitive, but so impactful um, that I really just had to trust myself I had to trust myself and my own skills way mm. more than I had at any point prior to that. Mm. You know what I mean? I was mm-hmm. like, I have, you know, my skills have been forged by fire and it was like, okay, let's, let's test it. And it really threw me like for a mental loop. Um, just not only, not only experiencing, you know, that traumatic like group trauma, um, with with the whole world, but also like being in a position of power to say something about it. Um, yeah, well, there's definitely that moment of, oh, okay, well, you you have the mic. Yeah. So what are you going to say? Like, you asked for the mic. <laughs> yes. Now what? Yeah. yeah. Um, Especially in a moment of, of such 
this was such a strained, tenuous moment. Yes. And just the the just the, the the trigger point and the 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 boiling point was just I mean it was it was really it was visceral like you could feel it yeah. you know yes a thousand percent so yeah. you know and after that it was one it was like okay I I did I felt like I did the right thing whether I used you know whether we used all the right words or whether it came off um, exactly the way in t- exactly the way we intended to everybody, never going to know, right? It was a message to like 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never, I, I felt like I did the right thing. Um, and I think, and it, and then it gave me the confidence to know that if something like this were to happen again, I knew what to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it did happen again, like not to this extreme um you know but yes yeah so i have a final question for you yes which has nothing to do with war rooms um but that is our uh our infamous reach question which we ask of everyone which is if you could support anyone throughout the course of history and time who would you choose to support and why my Initial answer to this is Janet Jackson. Yes. Because I wanted to be Janet Jackson. <laughs> I to be so bad. And you're I- a part <laughs> of a <rhythm>. <laughs> 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 Yeah, totally. <laughs> I actually was like when I really sat and thought about it, I was like, I really just like wanted to be her like backup dancer and like her backup vocal singer and mm-hmm. not really be her assistant. So then I was like, okay, let me re- let me think about this differently. <laughs> okay, okay, fair. Um, real answer, Michelle Obama. Oh, well, you know we just had Mrs. Obama's former assistant on the show. Girl, you did? Yes, we did. So, you have to listen to that. China, China Clayton is her name. And let me tell you, she is a phenomenon. Uh, not, not surprisingly. Just find somebody who makes you feel like Michelle Obama makes you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, like someone that, that exactly I think I think that what was really beautiful about hearing her describe their relationship was just the amount of mutual respect but also the amount of teaching like there was just so much kind of character building strength building wisdom that was um really present in their relationship and I yeah. think like that's really the benchmark right I mean it's somebody that you can not only give incredible leverage and support to, but somebody that you can learn from who's inspiring, who the way that they navigate through this world inspires you and, and gives in, in, you know, instills respect and, and, you know, to learn a little bit of that would be a gift, you know? Yes. Yes. A thousand percent. Yeah. Well, a thousand percent, Rachel Tan. I loved this, this conversation. This is really, really good because this is so, these things are so, so relevant. And I think that, you know, as is the nature of war room situations, they are typically unplanned. You don't know when you're going to find yourself in one. You don't know when stuff's going to hit the fan, good or bad, internally, externally, whatever the case may be. So I think having the ability to listen to your story, hear the examples of how you function successfully in these situations so that if somebody does find themselves in this in this situation, 
they already have a plan, right? There, yeah. there's a there's a game plan for what to do other than panic because panic is just not the right, just not the right response. Panic is not part of our job. No, it can't it's not be. That we should. Yeah, have. it's not. I mean, that kind of anxiety-ridden stuff is just not. You got to yeah. get immediately into the product productive mode and solutioning mode. So mm-hmm. I think if nothing else, listening to this episode, whether you're in a warm situation or not, have this in your back pocket. Thank you so much for having me. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.